I said in the um, in the summary two parrots. Oh, uh, okay. But, uh, I don't think that's uh, it's the end of the world. No, it's the end. The end of a parrot. <laughs> it was the end of the parrot. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> It's Friday, October 21st, and this is the Dutch News Podcast, your weekly chance to catch up with what's been going on here in the Netherlands. I am Paul Peters, Master's Student in Civil Engineering and Suspended Reptile. <laughs> with me today is Gordon Derrick, Contributing Editor at Dutch News and Treacherous Glorious Revolution Propagandist. <laughs> with whom are we going to start? Yeah, let's um, let's start with me. Let let's get okay. this out of the way yeah, uh, this, real yeah. quick. Yes, um, we're once again breaking our rule uh, not to talk about Thierry Baudet because um, uh, somehow he always manages to shoehorn his way into the news. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. But this yeah. time he, uh, we should at least mention it. Yeah. But very briefly, well, let's start with the bad thing. Uh, he, uh, of course, he has a track record of uh, uh, appealing to conspiracy theorists, yeah. and uh, the latest episode in that long saga is that he finally said that he also believes that uh, we are ruled. The world is ruled by reptiles. Mm. Earlier, he had also said that 9-11 is fake and that yeah. uh, he's also, of course, always talking about the World Economic Forum and... Uh, and, uh, and, and the St. Anthony's College, Oxford, which was apparently a recruiting ground for spies. Um, yes. Including um, his party's oh. main sponsor, John Lochland, but he doesn't talk about that. <laughs> which uh, was the least uh, of his uh, conspiracy <laughs> theories yeah. uh, he uttered, I think. Yeah. Um, but yeah, he, he um, finally said it. Uh, he said he believes that uh, we are uh, ruled by reptiles. Yeah. Um, uh, he sort of had a, um, a plausible deniability because reptile in the Dutch uh, uh, dictionary in the Dikke van Dalen apparently also means um, an untrustworthy person. So um, 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 that was his escape route. But uh, yeah, it was clear that at least he was trying to appeal to the people who actually believe this, uh, yeah. of which there are uh, only a very few. I can't believe that this is uh, a majority of, of the people in the Netherlands. Uh, remember, he once was was the largest party in uh, the country uh, last provincial elections. He was, uh, but he wasn't talking about reptiles then, only about owls. He hadn't yeah, graduated right. from uh, th th up, the, up the ladder of the animal kingdom. And also <laughs> the, the rept whole reptiles thing is really just a reference to yeah, yeah, um, long-standing uh, existing conspiracy theories about uh, uh, espoused by people like uh, the uh, notorious British conspiracy theorist and anti-Semite David Icke, um, who by sheer coincidence is coming to speak in the Netherlands, or, hmm. or was due to be coming to speak in the Netherlands this week, although I now uh, I've been reading there have been moves to try and block his, uh, block his visa or deny him a visa or somehow block him at the border um he, and i and i can only imagine uh, by which party he was uh, he was invited to come to speak to yeah who could that have been yeah but he has who literally said he's he is actually on record and on video saying that he believes that the leaders of the world and the british world family are literally shape-shifting reptiles so yeah. um Bode was kind of endorsing that and then he did his usual backtrack where he said oh it's just a figure of speech it's just a metaphor it's just a bit of fun everyone's getting over uh, getting worked up about nothing which is what he always does when he uh, exactly. says something ludicrous or oversteps the mark. Uh, 
He was also, uh, uh, for another reason, in the news, and that is because he is now officially suspended by the Tweede Kamer itself. Yeah. Uh, he failed to um, yeah, put in all his sort of side incomes and all of uh, all of the, the businesses he is involved with. Uh, he failed to report that to the Tweede yeah. Kamer. Well, which, specifically uh, his publishing company, right, that publishes yeah. his books. His uh, yeah exactly in which yeah. he will pr- he probably makes a lot of money from. Uh, he failed to to uh, declare that to uh, to the to the appropriate registers, which uh, MPs are uh, expected to do. And uh, the Tweede Kamer decided uh, to take action against that and suspended him for a week. Um, yeah. So uh, he's not allowed to uh, participate in debates uh, for the coming seven days. Um, which probably means that there is no debate lost where he will uh, participate in because he is notoriously uh, absent all the time. I was going to say this. Yeah, do, do, you, do you know, if there's a fun, for a fun fact, how, how many times Baudet has actually spoken in Parliament this year? So it's, it's, this year? It's, it's in this parliamentary session, yeah. So it's since, I would since say... If I of oh, since September, yeah, since September. Okay, yeah. Uh, I would say three times. You're exactly right. He's yeah, yeah. He's actually been involved in. He's spoken in three debates or three times. One of which was well, one of which was the debate about whether to suspend him suspend him ah. as an MP. Uh, one I think was when he and uh, Van Hager were complaining about being called on vel riechen de or something by uh, <laughs> by the Justice Minister Daniel Silgers. And there was another time which I can't remember exactly the, the, the details. Ultimately, beschauwing him. Yeah. Oh, yes. Yeah, that's right. He contributed in the. Oh, that, that's right. He was a notorious debate. speech about the spy college during the, um, yeah, the exactly. during the budget debate. Yeah. 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 Um, uh, he can vote though, so uh, his core business as an MP is uh, is still untouched, I guess. Yeah. Um, that brings us to uh, another thing we cannot avoid. Uh, <laughs> that's your job title. <laughs> yeah, Tell us yeah, what yeah. that's about. So yeah, I mean, obviously, it's been you, people might have been might have noticed that it's been quite um, uh, an, an eventful uh, couple of days um, uh, in uh, over the other side of the um, of the North Sea. Um, basically, we, we've had about a whole years, a whole decades <laughs> worth of politics in two days in uh, in, in Britain, and um, the, yeah. the, the the latest, uh, as we record on Thursday night, is that Liz Truss has now just resigned. But you know, when you're on Twitter, you're always looking to make kind of you know interesting insights and um, uh, give people little bits of information that they don't know and trying to be generally kind of quite erudite. Um, but nothing flies faster than a really obvious joke. And yeah. <laughs> as I discovered uh, in, in, in the course of... Um, uh, the whole meltdown um, on Wednesday night when there was a whole farcical situation where Parliament called a vote about fracking, which they then said was a confidence vote in this trust, and then a whole lot of Tory MPs didn't um, uh, didn't vote for it, including Liz Truss for some bizarre reason <laughs> I still haven't got to the bottom of, and then two whips resigned and then unresigned, and it was, it was a whole farce and on the bottom of this, I, during, in the middle of this I just tweeted out and said like uh, I think we must be approaching a point now where we ask the Dutch to come and uh, launch a friendly invasion um, yeah, and and that just flew on Twitter because it, it's a kind of joke that people feel clever about because they get because they think it's yeah. an obscure detail of history, but it's actually quite well known that the Dutch invaded in sixteen eighty eight in what was called the Glorious Revolution. So especially uh, especially in the UK, yeah, and and also think yeah. that uh, what also helps I think is that uh, if there is something uh, Dutch people love, it is international attention, right? Yeah. So um, if they see someone tweets about the Netherlands in English, then they will uh, probably be more inclined to share that with uh, with, uh, with with the rest of their followers. Uh, Molly had a similar experience, I think, uh, uh, this week when she tweeted a photo of um, yeah the Dutch uh, landscape from an airplane. Yeah, um, well, it wasn't yeah, just she, it wasn't just any Dutch landscape, was it? It was Flevoland. 
it was flavor lounge, yeah, <laughs> with a lot of straight lines, and she yeah. joked about that. Uh, yeah. But yeah, uh, that also helps, I think, uh, as we will see in the uh, OPEF of the week. Um, are we done talking about the UK? I think we're done uh, talking about Liz Truss and Thierry Baudet. Yeah, I can't decide which is uh, 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 more or less meritorious. But uh, yeah, I, th- I think we can just put all that behind us and get on to the real news. Yeah, especially because <laughs> we are recording now on Thursday evening instead of usually on, uh, as we do on it's, Friday morning. Yeah. And that means that uh, when this podcast comes out tomorrow, uh, probably there will be so many more developments that every joke and every comment we say uh, is already outdated. As so I was, was going to say, my, as the last thing, this is my, my thoughts and prayers go out to uh, our colleagues uh, in the UK making podcasts about politics right now. Because <laughs> if you go into a studio for half an hour, by the time you come out, half of the cabinet has changed, uh, you know, <laughs> personnel has changed and all your work is completely worthless and you have to go back in and record it again to exactly. reflect the new situation. Yeah, but so. only one thing will remain, and that is Larry the Cat. Yes, he will always be there. But that brings us to uh, the OPEF of the week. This time it comes from Atlanta, Georgia, interestingly enough. That's because CNN broadcasted an item about Utrecht highlighting its large quantity of cyclists, praising its bike-friendly infrastructure and admiring the world's largest underground bicycle parking garage. Nonetheless, the video went down the wrong way with some residents of the city. Why, you ask? Because the video started with saying that the city of Utrecht lies just outside Amsterdam. Utrecht is located some 35 kilometers from Amsterdam. That's a distance that might seem nothing for Americans, but it is enormous for Dutch standards. Uh, Some interpreted the comment uh, as if uh, CNN called Utrecht a suburb of Amsterdam. They were very offended by that, uh, very displeased with the suggestion that they have, uh, their city has a uh, similar status as Amstelveen or Diemen. There were also a lot of chauvinistic Utrechters uh, offended by the comparison with Amsterdam. They pointed out that the Domstad, as Utrecht is nicknamed, mm-hmm. is a thousand years older than Amsterdam. So they uh, said that the capital is actually a city north of <laughs> Utrecht. CNN has not yet apologized for explaining to their viewers who probably have never heard of Utrecht before where the city lies compared to mm. the best known place in the country. But anonymous sources say that the news channel will henceforth refer to Utrecht as a city just outside Nieuwegein. <laughs> yeah, or, or, yeah, or, or, or just near Lelystad or somewhere. Yeah, yeah but, some, um, some other place. So, something yeah. like that, or Den Bosch. Less yeah. offensive. Yeah, uh, the, the, yeah, but this is this just tapped into the kind of the Utrecht inferiority complex because Utrecht always, yeah. people in Utrecht always talk about the four big cities no one else in the Netherlands talks about four big cities certainly nobody outside the Netherlands talks about four big cities no definitely not and Utrecht (laughs) is the fourth city of the four largest cities so yeah they have a sort of Napoleon complex I guess Um, and they uh, desperately want to take uh, want to be taken seriously and they hate every comparison with Amsterdam okay that applies to the rest of the country as well I remember that um, um, uh, I'm not sure if it was the Amsterdam tourist uh, uh, organization or the country's tourist organization they refer to um, uh, Muiderslot Muiderslot Castle as uh, uh, Amsterdam Castle or something like that. That's right, it did, the, yeah. They were, they were also uh, very, very offended by that. So yeah. uh, I guess you should just not, uh, <laughs> as a as a international media outlet, you should never compare anything in the country with Amsterdam. Yeah. But as you say, people but, but, but we always, uh, in international media, refer to places in the Netherlands by where they are in relation to Amsterdam because that's the only place that foreigners are actually heard of. Exactly, you know, yeah. Most foreigners just think that Amsterdam and the Netherlands are actually synonymous. Yeah. Which, uh, the, the whole country is just one big suburb of Amsterdam. Yeah, which, which 
to be fair, yeah. at least the Randstad, you know, it's it's all so close to, so it's uh, all together. Compact, I mean, exactly. I mean, in other places, there are cities that cover a smaller geographical area. Like Tokyo is probably about the size of the Randstad geographically. It can't be much smaller. No, <laughs> no, 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 no. Tokyo no? is 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 multiple times uh, the the area of of the Randstad. So yeah, I, I think I think London, the the the, the larger London area, is comparable yeah. to to the whole Randstad. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. So, so, yeah, so, so just another episode in uh, of uh, uh, instance of uh, Utrecht uh, small mindedness there, that uh, which we all enjoy. Well, I, I yeah. was, I was, I was more offended by the notion that uh, CNN s- seemed to think that uh, Sharon Dijkstra, the uh, the mayor of Utrecht, had uh, was personally responsible for everyone cycling there. All right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't know. We will link to the video in the in the, in the liner notes. You can uh, watch right. it yourself. Well, but, they thought yeah. there were no bikes before Sharon Dijkstra. No. she personally brought them into the city. Yeah, that's what yeah. they seem to think. Yeah, yeah. and uh, yeah, I, I thought no, this is. Uh, yeah, this uh, if if someone knows anything about the Netherlands, it's probably that we are cyclists, right? As a country, yeah. so. Yeah, yeah. did yeah did did, did um uh, Katie Couric have any kind of uh, involvement in this story? Is it, the, the the anchor who famously said that uh, everyone skated to work oh. in the winter? So. <laughs> <laughs> I I didn't know that that was her name. Yeah, no, yeah. that was uh, NBC, right? Who, who, she who was NBC, that, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Was another thing that uh, yeah made a lot of people. <laughs> She's probably consulted as an expert. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> this week, Junior Justice Minister Van der Burg failed again to convince his own party to accept his bill that aims to solve the refugee crisis. After days of uncertainty, the missing bodies of a disabled girl and her caretaker have been found. Prime Minister Mark Rutte decided he will cheer Oranje in Qatar, much to the discontent of the Tweede Kamer. We have orange cricket news, much to the discontent of me. <laughs> and two expensive parrots have been silenced by balloons. And uh, this week we're also releasing a special episode uh, on the Chronia gas extraction, which is just for our Patreon listeners. So a special uh, bonus episode for patrons. Uh, we've recorded an interview with uh, investigative journalist and geochemist Sam Geritz, who uh, yeah, uh, has written a book about Shell and ExxonMobil, um, the companies who are responsible for the exploitation of the Chronia gas field. Uh, which resulting in the earthquakes that caused damage to houses in the northern province. And it's a really fascinating discussion about how uh, the Dutch exploited the Chronia gas field, got very rich for 50 years and kind of turned a complete blind eye to the fact that uh, houses in the north were falling down until it, it reached a kind of crisis point. And Sam gives you a in, uh, very interesting insight into how this political scandal that has uh, ended up with a parliamentary inquiry, uh, which is the reason that we're having this uh, special episode, uh, and, uh, how, the, how the whole process unfolded and uh, why it uh, all spiralled so badly out of control and what consequences it has of course as well in the context of uh, the war in Ukraine where everyone's uh, scraping around trying to find cheap gas we should just start uh, fracking I think yeah that'd be a good idea yeah what could go wrong Coalition parties and junior justice minister Erik van den Burg have still not reached an agreement on the new asylum law, which should lead to a better spread of asylum seekers across the country. During the summer, hundreds of asylum seekers were forced to sleep outside the registration center in Ter Apel because there was no room for them in regular asylum seeker centers. The situation at the center was so bad that the Red Cross and Médecins Sans Frontières had to step in to provide food and shelter for the refugees. Since then, emergency shelters have been opened, for example, 
Poland's port halls, former military bases or cruise ships, while the Deputy Justice Minister worked on a new law that allows him to force municipalities to build asylum seeker centers if necessary. Van der Burg has appealed to municipalities to provide accommodations for asylum seekers voluntarily on many occasions over the past month without satisfactory results. So that's the reason why he believes that this um, yeah, uh, uh, means of force, I guess, uh, is necessary and is required uh, in order to, to uh, build a new and uh, a more stable uh, asylum um, system. Yeah, and just fix this whole problem we've had with uh, asylum seekers having to sleep on patches of grass outside uh, um, refugee centres in yeah, what uh, have been called uh, what inhumane and deplorable conditions. Exactly, which, which, yeah. is just, which is just not uh, you know, befitting of, a, of an advanced Western country. Yeah, unfortunately for Van den Burg, though, his own party, the VVD, has great difficulties with forcing municipalities to uh, to open asylum seeker centers. And they are very reluctant to accept this so-called dwangwet, which translates to... Forcing yes, law? enforcement law. Yeah, yeah. It, it, effectively, it gives him the power to override municipalities. Uh, yeah, which is and, uh, uh, and that uh, uh, we had, of course, uh, a situation in Tebergen in Twente over the summer, yeah. where uh, the the COA, the the agency that's responsible for housing uh, uh, asylum seekers, uh, bought uh, 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 an old hotel, an abandoned hotel, um, with the aim to to open it as a refugee center. But that led to so much. Um, uh, opposition uh, from from the from the local people there that uh, the VVD is really afraid uh, for similar situations throughout the country if um, uh, the COA or the or the Justice Ministry forces uh, municipalities to open uh, asylum seekers there. Yeah, and uh, because he left it this late, it's uh, now uh, very questionable whether uh, they can actually get this new law to come into force uh, by the end of the year. Yes, uh, initially the Deputy Justice Minister's intention was to have the bill ready on October 1st, but that has failed due to the opposition of the VVD. Um, Now they have rebranded this law uh, to spreading law (laughs) in order to make it easier for the VVD to accept it, Uh, but uh, new rounds of negotiations still haven't led to a compromise. Uh, the, de- the new deadline was today, uh, because the autumn recess uh, starts uh, yeah, today, mm-hmm. uh, meaning that the parliamentary procedures will be on hold for the coming two weeks, uh, and that will make it very difficult for Van den Burg to have it ready before next uh, uh, year, because, you know, uh, the procedures has to go to the Tweede Kamer, then the first, uh, Eerste Kamer, and so forth. So, um, 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 yeah, uh, it's it's might be possible that he has already... Um, uh, failed to to meet his deadline. Yeah, it's a knotty problem. It's, I mean, it's a real conundrum for him. That he, he, the fact he's got opposition with his own within his own party, yeah. and obviously within Fefe municipalities, they tend to be the ones that are most reluctant to take in asylum seekers um, uh, because their voters don't like it. Uh, it makes it a real problem. Perhaps um, he should just uh, tell his uh, his MPs that he considers this a vote of uh, no confidence. Yeah, uh, yeah. Perhaps uh, <laughs> uh, perhaps they will vote in favour of it then. Perhaps yeah, or perhaps they won't vote at all, or perhaps they'll uh, yeah, perhaps he'll have to resign and un resign who knows <laughs> yeah i mean yeah doesn't yeah the precedents aren't good for that um but he's also of course got to make um yeah but he's also up against it just trying to find permanent accommodation for asylum seekers 
Yes, because a court has ruled that the Dutch state must improve living conditions of asylum seekers in emergency shelters. Uh, so that that's the, uh, the, the those are the, um, uh, the the former military bases, the sport halls, and so forth, where which were opened uh, in order to relieve the pressure from uh, the uh, uh, registration center in Ter Apel. But yeah. you know that has been two months now, I think. So uh, a lot of people are still uh, accommodated in temporary uh, temporary shelters. Yeah. Um, the government wa- uh, uh, realizes that uh, yeah they basically have no means now to uh, open more asylum seeker centers basically because a lot of municipalities are reluctant or just bluntly say no to requests uh, to open them um, and in order to buy more time the government has appealed the court's decision but another court has ruled that it must take action now and uh, the government cannot wait at the outcome of the pending appeal in November um, the government argued that the minister is, and this is a quote, not a magician um, and does not want <laughs> to be put in a position where they could not comply with the court ruling. Uh, but the judge in The Hague said that the interests of asylum seekers were more important than that of the state right now. Um, the case was brought forward by a refugee agency Vluchtelingenwerk, which demands that the government brings accommodation up to European standard. Uh, the um, agency said that the care of refugees in the Netherlands has dropped below the humanitarian minimum uh, and currently nearly 30,000 refugees, including children, are living in emergency accommodation. Uh, Van der Beur has again appealed to municipalities to provide small-scale accommodations, but only one house has been uh, offered so far. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's. I mean, to me, this has got real sort of shades of a lot of the other recent uh, uh, issues where the government's come off the rails. Where there's an international agreement here to accommodate refugees, which the government then doesn't comply with. It gets taken to court. The court tells it to actually comply with the regulations, but the government is then stuck in a bind because, like with the farmers and with the Tuslachen affair, it's terrified of how populist politicians are going to react when it actually tries to enforce the rules, right? And so, therefore, it kind of drags its feet and tries to kind of uh, negotiate and water down. The proposals but all the time it's just fundamentally not addressing the issue um, until it hits a kind of crisis point and then we've had a crisis in the uh, asylum accommodation system this summer because we had these hundreds of people sleeping outside with you know with no toilet facilities or showers or access to medicine and all sorts of things like that so it's uh, yeah it's a real concern that they can't fix it's just the latest issue on which they they need to come up with a solution and they just they just find all 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 routes are blocked yeah uh, and 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 not addressing the problems fundamentally seems to be the common denominator for yeah. many of the crises that we currently have for example what we saw in Groningen uh, for many decades but mm. also the the nit- nitrogen crisis as well so yeah that seems to be yeah, the, the, the main problem yeah. of our government, uh, uh, they seem not to be able to, or not wanting uh, to be able to uh, to address uh, yeah, the issues it, fundamentally. Yeah, it's, basically, it's a basic failure of leadership, effectively. At some point, the government has to say, look, we're the government, we're in charge, plus the fact that we have to, we have these international obligations and we have to abide by the decisions of court. So, you know, um, somehow we've got to cut through. Um, at some point, we have to we have to cut cut to the chase and make a decision. But um, yeah, it doesn't happen, and so it drags on. The bodies of a disabled ten-year-old girl and a care worker have been recovered from a canal in North Brabant following a two-day search. Habus Fat was reported missing by her mother on Monday night after she failed to return home. She was last seen leaving a daycare centre in Rabenstonksfeer near Breda in a car driven by 26-year-old son of Boss, who was a, her professional carer. 
Heber was physically disabled and police were concerned because she needed round-the-clock care and medicine. An Amber Alert was put out on Tuesday morning with the registration plate of Sanas Kia Picanto car. Police received hundreds of tip-offs and volunteer search teams combed the area. Police dogs in a sonar boat were used in the search, but the family's worst fears were realised on Wednesday night when Sanas' car was found to have gone into a canal beside the A59 motorway at Empel near Dombos. And only on Thursday, police confirmed the two people whose bodies were inside the car were indeed Sana and Heber. And uh, do we have any idea what exactly happened? Well, at the moment, uh, the police are keeping all options open. And the, the car was found in a stretch of water next to a bend on a junction. And there were tyre marks leading off the road at that point. Um, so it was suggesting that car had you know, veered off the road for some reason. Uh, several people told Onward Brabant that they'd uh, reported the time out the day before the car was found, but the police said the point where it was recovered was some distance on the road. It's also known that Sunna's mobile phone signal dropped out at around 3.30 on Monday, and the last signal was traced, but there are reports that the initial search focused on the wrong place near the village of Vuspik because police were misled by an error in the KPN network. Hmm. Um, there have also been questions about a gap in the guardrail on the bend in the road where the car appears to have gone off. Uh, in August 2020, a car missed the bend at the same spot and ended up in the water. Uh, the driver survived but was taken to hospital. So uh, what has been the reaction in, in Brabant, where, where the two of them uh, were coming from? Yeah, understandably. I mean, people are absolutely devastated. And uh, there were a small crowd gathered at the spot on uh, Thursday where the car had been found and several people was, uh, were in tears, the local media reported. Um, Haber had a number of disabilities, including scoliosis, which meant she had difficulty walking and she needed constant care. She spent the day at an orthopaedic daycare centre. Um, and Sana's best friend, uh, Mark Deckers, who was uh, kind of leading the search or speaking to the media about the search, describes Sunna as uh, one of the most dedicated care workers I know who did everything in her power for the children. And he said before she was found that uh, people felt helpless and sad, but they were committed to finding her. But sadly, their, their efforts ended in the worst imaginable way. Yeah. The Dutch government has decided, after much deliberation, to send a delegation to the World Cup in Qatar, which starts in a month's time. But wait, um, Parliament voted a year ago not to send a delegation, right? They did. But <laughs> nevertheless, uh, Foreign Affairs Minister Vopke Hoekstra told Parliament on Wednesday that ministers would be in Qatar, as is customary at every international tournament, to cheer on the Dutch team. Hoekstra added that the cabinet was opting for cooperation with Qatar, with a view to creating sustainable change. That change will sadly come too late for the estimated 6,500 migrant workers who have died while working on the stadiums for the tournament. So this um, th this motion uh, not to send a delegation was, uh, um, uh, um, uh, I think, almost unanimously approved by the Tweede Kamer. Yeah. Um, what did the opposition have to say about this? Well, uh, Geert-Jan Segers of the Christian Union said uh, everything that is wrong with football comes together in this bribe-bought World Cup. And he was critical of the fact the show was going on despite the deaths and the plight of minorities in the Desert Kingdom. So he was resolutely against uh, sending a delegation. Okay, but I asked about the opposition. Uh, ChristenUnie is in the coalition, right? What oh, so is they happening are. Yeah, 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 so <laughs> they are. Yeah, well, Desa Zestof, they also voted against the motion. Uh, oh, no, hang on, wait a minute. They're in the cabinet as well. Um, <laughs> their, their foreign affairs spokesman, Shur Chutzma, said the decision was inappropriate and unwise. And uh, all the opposition parties spoke out against it, particularly the SP, the Socialist Party, uh, also said that, uh, yeah, we, we shouldn't be uh, endorsing the Qatar World Cup. Uh, several commercial partners have also either uh, withdrawn or scale back their, their, their sponsorship as well. Uh, but Hoekstra said it was important to maintain good relations with Qatar. 
Uh, Zestok and Kuhn Links have come up with a, uh, a, a, a characteristic uh, solution. They've suggested showing adverts about human rights on the giant screens that will be put up to broadcast the games uh, to, in order to massage people's consciences. Um, presumably these screens will also be erected by low-paid migrant workers just to be consistent. <laughs> Um, but at least the king isn't going, right? Um, uh, well, he hasn't ruled it out. And uh, Mark Rutter, of course, is responsible for all the king's mistakes. Uh, he says it's okay. So, uh, in fact, he said the cabinet was very open to the idea of the king attending the World Cup. So expect his little dance to feature at some point during the during the tournament. And um, hmm. let's hope he doesn't trip on any skeletons in the stadium. Uh, <laughs> Rutter argued the best way to have a dialogue about human rights is to be in the place where human rights are being violated. Uh, the Netherlands also relied on support from Qatar during the evacuation of Afghanistan to wars ago so uh, they're obviously um, seeking to strengthen the partnership but human rights organizations like Amnesty International and Human Rights Watch have said it will be handing a PR coup to Qatar so yeah the uh, another major reason for Rutte um, to send a, a government delegation to the world uh, championships is that we will probably going to need Qatar in the near future when our gas reserves uh, are empty yeah. and we need to, um, um, uh, we need to we need to guess, get our natural gas uh, at some place uh, presumably um, um, Qatar is favorable uh, above uh, Russia at at the moment even though uh, yeah yeah um, just, just, they both just have about. some uh, some questionable uh, track records on human rights, I guess. Yeah, I think right um, now Qatar are edging it in terms of uh, yeah general um, respect for humanity, but uh, they, they don't have an unblemished record, certainly. No, no, definitely not. Um, and yeah, uh, um, so that's what what Rutte said, and also told MPs in a letter to Parliament uh, that yeah, we we probably going to need Qatar in the near future, so we better uh, keep our uh, keep our relations with that country. Um, uh, uh, well, um, yeah, but, but I mean that's the approach we took to Vladimir Putin in, uh, yeah. in the, for the last twenty years, and, and that didn't go wrong at all, did it? No, no, indeed. <laughs> no, no. Um, um, uh, uh, there was a debate uh, this afternoon in the Tweede Kamer, so Thursday, um, uh, on this issue. Um, and I believe it was the Christian Union who proposed to, um, uh, who, who said they are sympathetic with the reasons why the government uh, uh, wants to send a delegation after all. Uh, but they have proposed to only send a very light delegation. <laughs> so that means a minister that is responsible for human rights. And I believe Rob Jette, I think Probably. that's the lightest, yeah. lightest yeah, that, 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 delegation possible. You can't get much possible. lighter than Rob Jette, really, can you? No, yeah. no. Yeah. So... Um, um, yeah, that's probably the uh, the compromise uh, they're going to reach, yeah. I guess. Uh, but yeah, a light delegation that does not include the king, of course, uh, because uh, adding him to the delegation makes it uh, almost as high as possible. Yes. Uh, but there were, I saw some uh, some snippets uh, uh, on Twitter this week uh, about an anecdote on uh, Willem Alexander. Uh, he, he, for example, there was also talk uh, about uh, banning. Uh, or boycotting the Winter Olympics in Russia in 2014, uh, but uh, apparently Willem Alexander has said that he was going to to go uh, despite uh, uh, everything. If he's um, uh, if they if they ban him from going, he's still going. So yeah, he, right. he just loved to watch sports, I guess. So yeah, uh, yeah, we, uh, we 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 shouldn't expect uh, some sympathy sympathy of Willem Alexander on this matter. I well, think. he's a former member of the International Olympic Committee, isn't he? So I don't think he's really a a, a, a shining beacon of a sporting ethics. Uh, no, yeah. 
At the Dutch News Podcast, we've made the decision on ethical grounds not to book business class flights for the World Cup in Qatar or VIP seats in the slave-built stadiums. But we do incur some costs in the process of bringing you this podcast, and we very much appreciate the donations from our sponsors who keep us going. If you're not a patron of the podcast yet, it takes a matter of seconds to sign up through our Patreon page. Uh, we're extremely grateful as well, and it costs as little as a dollar, a euro, or a pound a month. You are a patron faster than Listrus's tenure. Yeah. We'll uh, give you a shout-out on the next podcast to say thanks and answer all your questions about Dutch food, farming and cabinet formation and uh, uh, questionable business trips. And you'll also get uh, access to exclusive features like our interview with Sam Geritz on the Gronje gas crisis. This week we say hello and welcome to one new patron, uh, Sarah Helen Dorazio. Uh, so thank you very much for your support, Sarah. Uh, if uh, you. you would like to join our band of patrons, log on to www.patreon.com. That's p a t r e o n dot com slash Dutch News NL. Dutch nationals living abroad will be able to have an impact on the composition of the Upper House of Parliament from next year. The Eerste Kamer has voted in favor of the plan on Wednesday. Uh, Dutch nationals abroad could so far only vote in national and European elections, but they were excluded from local elections such as the uh, municipal, water board and also, crucially, in this case, the provincial elections. Uh, the composition of the Eerste Kamer is determined by an election among provincial representatives, so it's a stepped uh, election, mm. uh, and that means that the Dutch people living outside the country had no electoral say in that part of the legislature because they do not live in one of the provinces. Mm. Um, under the new plan, though, a new electoral college will be formed. Uh, effectively, they will uh, create a virtual 13th province uh, that will be elected by Dutch people abroad. Uh, the plan required a change of the constitution, which could take many years, uh, and it did. It was uh, initially uncertain if the Senate would vote uh it was initially uncertain if the Senate would approve the plan, uh, but it was accepted with a two-third majority. Uh, the plan will probably be implemented very quickly, given that the next provincial election, and thus um, yeah, the first step in the uh, 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 Eerste Kamer election, mm. is planned in March next year. Um, this surprises me. It is estimated that around 1 million Dutch nationals are living abroad. Yeah, I'm surprised by that figure as well. I thought I would just look up how many people are actually living abroad and then, then I found this number and I was, I was really, really uh, surprised by it. Mm. Um, let's do a little quiz, um, Gordon. Right. Uh, which province do you think has around a million inhabitants? Yeah, I was just thinking that. This is, I mean, it's not going to be this, the smallest province then, because uh, Drenthe and Groningen are certainly well under a million. Um, I think a million inhabitants, that would probably be something like Limburg. Yeah, that's the closest indeed. Yeah. Limburg has 1.1 million yeah. inhabitants uh, together with Overijssel. Uh, which one do you think is the smallest uh, province? I think Drenthe, no, Flevoland. It's uh, Zeeland. Oh, Zeeland, of course, is Zeeland. I think you forgot yes. about Zeeland. I, I, I think you forgot some, about its existence. For some reason, I forgot all about Zeeland. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Otherwise, you would have said, said that one. <laughs> uh, that one has uh, 380,000 uh, inhabitants. Yeah. Uh, number two? Uh, second smallest, I think, Drenthe. No, that's Flevoland. Yeah, Flevoland. Yeah. 423,000. Drenthe has 493,000. Yeah. Um, the largest province? Uh, that is obviously Zuid-Holland. Yes, 3.7 million. And I think North Brabant. Uh, followed by North Holland and then North Brabant. Oh, okay. They both yeah. have uh, around 2.5 million. So, yeah, um, yeah 
Um, I, I actually never realized that Zeeland is 10 times smaller than Zuid-Holland yeah. in, uh, in terms of population. Um, the, the Eerste Kamer election has this very complicated system of uh, determining the weight of uh, an electoral, uh, of a provincial representative. Well, the, the, the effect is that the, 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 the size of your vote share depends on the size of the, the population of your province, really. So it's, yeah. so it's proportional. Yeah. 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 So yeah. it's more or less proportional. Yeah. Not entirely, but um, 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 you could just, if you just look at how many votes a certain party had. Uh, uh, in, in all 12 provinces combined, then you probably know how many seats uh, they were going to get in the Eerste Kamer, even though it's not directly proportional. Yeah. Um, but this kind of uh, virtual 13th province then is, is going to be probably about so about roughly kind of midway down the, down the order of provinces by size. So it's going to have a fairly, yeah. it's going to have quite a big effect then on the composition of the of the Senate. I think so too. Yeah. yeah, I was I was trying to look up how exactly they will they will measure. Uh, the weight of of, uh, of this electoral uh, college, but I couldn't really understand it. Mm. So um, uh, mostly because it was mostly uh, ignored by by the Dutch media. So uh, <laughs> okay. yeah, then nobody seemed to care. Um, yeah. Um, um, but for experts, I think it uh, this is relevant. So we will uh, yeah we will see um, uh, how this will uh, play out. Yeah. Uh, in March 2023 so yeah it's uh, it's uh, only a few months away yeah uh, until, i guess that's uh, a provincial election and the senate election itself is actually because it's an indirect election where the the, um, the provinces send delegates to an electoral college that's in may isn't it it's a bit later on a little bit later on yeah, yeah. yeah. so that, that's yeah. where we'll actually see the effect of the 13th province i guess yeah yeah and, and will they actually uh, publish the votes on um provincial election night then of this virtual province or will they wait until senate uh, election day i think they will because the the election is uh, um, no no i don't think they will because these votes are sent to uh the municipality of the hague right. they are responsible for counting these votes but if they are indeed so many people and the question is of course how many of these million people will will be able to vote or are going to vote mm -hmm. um uh, it does mean that uh, the hague has a lot of extra work of course counting yeah. uh, counting these extra votes uh, on top of on top of their own um uh, 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 inhabitants so uh, I don't know how they're going to uh, organize this uh, at least this result isn't necessarily to necessary to to publish on the same day or the next day right no. so they're probably going to take a little more time yeah um, but yeah it's it's interesting I'm really curious to see how how uh, what, what kind of effect this will have on on, on this election yeah do, do we know which of the uh, which parties get the most votes among overseas voters for the trader camera Honestly, I don't know. No. I should have looked that up, yeah. but <laughs> I didn't. Yeah. Well, we'll find it out for next week. Okay. So yes, yeah. we we still have a couple of months uh, for it, uh, yeah, to yeah, find this out. Yeah. Sports news. And we're going to start with cricket because the Netherlands have qualified for the Super Twelve stage of the Men's T Twenty World Cup after yay. beating. Yeah, I thought you'd be pleased to hear this. Very pleased. Yeah, uh, they beat. Do you know who they who they've beaten along the way? Um, uh, I'm not looking at the script right now. <laughs> Is it an impressive accomplishment? Um, well, for the Dutch team, I guess. Yeah, I mean, they haven't beaten any of the major <laughs> cricket countries. Okay, so. I don't. It's not. No, I don't know. No, I really they, don't know. No, they, they beat the United Arab Emirates um, and then <laughs> Namibia. 
Um, and maybe okay. a, a reasonably, I've got a reasonably good cricket team. Yeah, um, I guess. Yeah. Uh, yeah. The UAE not so much. Uh, yeah, that was in their first two matches. Then they lost to Sri Lanka, who are a test-playing nation by 16 runs in the final group game, and that left them dependent on whether the UAE could beat Namibia um, in the final game. And to the joy of the Dutch, the UAE squeezed home by seven runs. It's their first ever win in the tournament, and that means that the Dutch now will play in the final uh, round, uh, and they will be up against heavyweights like India, Pakistan, and South Africa. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah that's going to be a bit of a step up um, yeah yeah. in the match against Sri Lanka Dutch opener Max O'Dowd scored an unbeaten 71 while Pal van Meekeren and Buster Leder each claimed two wickets and coach Scott Edwards said there were a lot of positives to take away for his young side I think a couple of players were 19 so he's obviously building on the Ajax model there um, and uh, yeah they will also be playing now Bangladesh and another team that's yet to be determined uh, from the other group all right, literally no idea what a wicket is, but uh, <laughs> moving on. Yeah. Uh, there were also a couple of upsets in the Dutch Cup. Yeah, coming around to football, uh, the first round of the Dutch Cup is a seeded round, so the Eredivisie teams come up against amateur clubs, and there's always a few upsets, and this year the victims were Vitesse Arnhem and RKC Valveik. So Vitesse, they've had a tough start to the season after their Russian owner, Valery Oif, sold his shares and uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, and, uh, and, and uh, ran out of town. I wonder point- why he did that. Yeah, I don't know, strange. Mm. Yeah. They appointed a new coach, Philip Koku, who managed his first win of the season at the weekend, but in the cup they were drawn against Kozakan Boys from Verkandam. Wow. Yeah, I always like the names of these Dutch amateur clubs. Another uh, <laughs> Russian influence here. Yeah, seemingly, yeah. Um, so, yeah, Fitessa took the lead twice, but they were pegged back and eventually lost on penalties. Uh, so, they're out also Ekase, uh, who uh, went down 2 0 to De Treffers, a second division side from Husbeek in Helderland. Mm. Uh, their captain, Ricardo Ipel, was phoned up for, in the canteen later on, and he said, he told to NOS, literally, everyone here over the age of 18 is off their faces. So, they were having a good night. Uh-huh. And. Emmen were almost a third victim, but they came from behind to beat Ado Twintig from Heemskerk 2-1 in extra time. And uh, meanwhile, in the Eredivisie, Ajax took off their Champions League Blues to go back to the top with a 7-1 drubbing of Excelsior. Uh, previous leaders AZ went down 3-1 at home to Feyenoord, while PSV eased past Utrecht 6-1. And there are just two points between the two top four sides, so quite oh. exciting in the Eredivisie yes. this season. Yeah, and there was also some OPEF about a uh, rainbow armband, right? Yeah, the rainbow armband uh, OPEF. Uh, what happened was the Karen Faye Bay, uh, they had a campaign uh, to coincide with National Coming Out Day. So they asked all team captains to wear a rainbow-coloured armband in solidarity. Um, and they all did, with two exceptions. Uh, one was Feyenoord's captain, Erkun uh, Kukchu, and the captain of El Celsio, Redouan El Yakubi. Uh, they both declined. Um, and because both players are Muslims, it led to plenty of commentary and backbiting about their choices, which is kind of ironic mm. for a campaign that was supposed to be all about inclusivity. Kutchu issued a personal statement insisting he respected everyone regardless of religion, background or preference, but he explained, because of my religious beliefs, I do, don't feel I'm the right person to support it. And El Yakubi, he wore a different armband that focused on respect, and he said, everyone should have respect for each other, not just a group or a theme. Hmm. All right, and lots of discussion about that in the in the talk shows and on Twitter, and it was all quite unsavory. I managed to completely avoid this. So, Good, uh, Good I'm, for you. Uh, I'm very happy about that. Yeah. yeah, yeah. A balloonist has to pay the owner of three expensive parrots fifty-five thousand euros in compensation for giving the birds a lethal heart attack. 
A court in Tempos ruled that the birds literally died of fright when the hot air balloon, which was taking part in a competition in 2017, sailed by just 50 meters from the parrot's aviary and fired up the balloon's main burner. The noise of the blast caused the animals worth tens of thousands of euros so much stress that they died. Two parrots expired instantly, another one died the next day. The balloon company from Schijndel admitted the balloon had flown below the 300-meter limit designated for the zone, but contested that the parrots had died of stress caused by the balloonist actions, uh, and they based their claims on a uh, vet's testimony. Mm. Alternative causes brought forward for the demise of the parrots were dismissed by the judge. The owner's claim was for 113,000 euros to compensate for the loss of a yellow-naped Amazon worth 1250 and uh, a 40,000 pair of hyacinth macaws and any offspring they might have produced and while the ruling uh, with the ruling a court case spanning multiple years finally came to an end wow i didn't realize this court case has been running for for so long but uh, yeah i think molly really missed a, an opportunity <laughs> here. absolutely yeah yeah yeah, yeah. I, I really wanted her to live tweet everything that was going on in this court case. I think this could have been the uh, 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 the the Depp uh, versus Hart uh, court case Absolutely, of, of the Netherlands. Yeah, here. of the Netherlands. Yeah, yeah, yeah but it was, it was certainly a very colourful court case. Obviously, with these uh, <laughs> with these bright with these brightly feathered uh, bright blue, these, these birds of their bright plumage. Yeah, I'm disappointed the owner didn't take them into a shop and still try and sell them, and uh, you know uh, <laughs> run through the whole uh, Monty Python sketch. <laughs> Uh, if I was this hot air balloonist, I think I would buy a, a hot air balloon in the shape of a parrot, and then just uh, <laughs> well, well, he can't now. He's, he's got to spend all his yeah. money on compensating the owner of the parrots. He's got, he's yeah, got the money right. for balloons. Yes, yeah, the balloons truly up. Fifty meters is really very low for a hot air balloon. I think. I would be scared to death if I, if I yeah, saw exactly, a yeah. hot air balloon so low over anything <laughs> for any one of my animals. Um, but yeah, and uh, yeah, uh, have you ever been in a hot air balloon? I've not been in a hot air balloon. No, 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 me neither. But yeah, if you stand on the ground and you look at one and they uh, ignite uh, this, uh, the, the main like burner, burn yeah, yeah, it's a really, uh, it's an enormous noise. It is. Um, yeah, it's huge. So yeah, yeah. so. Yeah. Um, um, but yeah, uh, rest in peace, parrots. I yeah, poor old parrots. Sorry, R.I.P. Polly. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> That's uh, all that we have for you this week. This podcast is a production of Dutch News, which can be found online at dutchnews.nl. We will include links to everything we've talked about today in the liner notes. You can get in touch with us by email to podcast.dutchnews.nl. If you want to help us out, please subscribe to the podcast, leave us a rating, and you can also back us now on Patreon at patreon.com slash dutchnewsnl. Uh, and you can earn yourself a free shout-out on the podcast. My thanks to Gordon Derek and uh, to the Parrots. We'll be back <laughs> next week. Thank <laughs> you.